We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by regular commentators, Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Jumping straight in today with the latest on the coronavirus situation here in Taiwan this week. Well, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong extended the nationwide level three coronavirus alert until June the 14th on Tuesday, citing the severity of domestic transmission rates. The level three alert was originally issued from May the 19th through the 28th, but its extension means that schools island-wide will now remain closed until June the 14th. And the extension also means that the continued closure of all public venues and some businesses except for government offices and those that provide essential services. While some politicos, pundits, celebs and talking heads have been taken to their social media accounts to voice their hopes that Taiwan can quickly deal with the problem, experts are being far less optimistic. And they're warning that the government's level three coronavirus alert could continue to be extended and should remain in place until daily new cases numbers drop to below 30. Central Epidemic Command Centre Advisor Li Peng Ying says the Level 3 alert shouldn't be lifted until there has been a clear improvement in the situation, while former Health Minister Yang Jiliang says he believes it will be a long while before the Level 3 alert is dropped to Level 2. And Yang has been saying this week that Taiwan will be lucky if the spread of the virus is stopped by the end of the year. So, Ross, where are you on this? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? Well, I'm optimistic that the authorities have a grasp of the facts. What I'm not so optimistic about is the speed at which they acquire that grasp of the facts. So, you know, many experts for a long time had discussed the reality given a global pandemic that there might be more COVID-19 circulating in Taiwan among the population, but there was this reluctance to do uh, more testing, not, 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 not suggesting test the whole population, every single person. Uh, and you know, that, that's kind of one reason for, you know, I'm, uh, that I, I think of when, when, when I look at the speed at which authorities acquire facts. And just in the recent days, this controversy about the, the backlog positive cases and then reallocating those positive test results to previous days. Uh, yeah, we have no reason to, to doubt the, the accuracy of, and, and uh, to their credit, they're, they're announcing that, yeah, we did have a backlog and uh, we do actually have more positive cases on a, a date two days ago, for example, or five days ago. Uh, but again, the, the backlog or the fact that there's this backlog, they seem to announce that a few days into uh, the current situation. Uh, instead of saying in the first instance, uh, we're probably going to have a backlog, so be prepared. We're going to do some adjustment to the numbers in the coming days. We're announcing 300 for yesterday, but four days from now, we might have to uh, look back and say, actually, it wasn't 300. It was 300 and something else. Uh, and a third example that comes to mind with this, and Minister Chun spoke about this yesterday, it's it's the growing controversy over the acquisition of vaccines. And yesterday seemed to be uh, uh, at the press conference a moment to blame the manufacturer for changing uh, its delivery schedule. Uh, the, I noticed the minister 
seemed to think it was really important that he his team sent a scan of the signed contract from the Taiwan side uh, to the manufacturer. He must have mentioned we, we emailed them a scan about three or four times. I kept hearing him say that, uh, which really isn't the key point here. Uh, so uh, they know they need vaccines. You have no doubt. You know, I'm not doubting that. Uh, I don't think the, they're they're hesitant to acquire vaccines, they think it's safe. They're, they're not telling the population vaccines aren't safe either. Uh, but again, uh, the speed at which they do certain things uh, and then provide that information to the public doesn't give reason for optimism. And, and that's probably why we see a number of, of experts, uh, medical doctors and, and scientists in recent days. Uh, so the, the people you cited, such as uh, the former uh, health minister, uh, or wasn't a ministry back then, um, are, are publicly expressing uh, this pessimism, if one wants to call it that, uh, that there's a high likelihood that uh, this level three alert will have to remain in place for a considerably longer period of time. Yeah, I think that's right, uh, in the sense that there's not a very clear timeline for how to get out of this, as well as just even to know what the situation is. So the testing backlog is now over 70,000 cases. Um, and so in the past, the CECC has claimed Taiwan's capacity to do testing is 13,000 or so per, per day. Uh, it's not very clear what the current ability to get through tests are. Um, but then that actually means then if we're looking at the numbers, if numbers start to drop, I don't think we'll actually really have a very clear idea. Uh, for example, usually uh, we were seeing 20 to 40 cases added per day from the revision. Uh, but yesterday, for example, we saw the uh, statistics for Wednesday revised substantially by uh, adding 100 cases. And so that really actually changes the narrative, moving, for example, 300 cases to 400. And the new announced number yesterday was 400, which means that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it stayed around the same. Uh, but then yesterday we'll probably see increases as well. And so in that respect, there's no permanent solution until there are vaccines that arrive. But that is not going to be immediate as well. Um, I think people are going to be in a clamor to get out of the phase uh, three status, hoping that things come back to phase two. But this could be still be uh, a while. Um, when vaccines arrive as well, if they do, just right now, for example, there's the anticipation about the Moderna vaccines. It's not arriving in large enough numbers that this can substantially change the situation. Uh, likewise, even if 46 million vaccines were doses of the vaccines, rather, were to materialize tomorrow at Taiwan International Airport, uh, it would actually still require substantial distribution networks to get them to be handed out to people and to get people to actually take the vaccines and so forth. And so... That's a concern. Um, so today is actually an interesting day, too, because the criteria for moving to level four is that there has to be 14 consecutive days of over 100 cases and that 50 of them need to have unclear sources. And so today is the 14th day of over 100 uh, of over 100 cases per day. However, not it's not that over 50% of them are having unknown uh, sources. And so I think particularly because of the uh, unclear situation regarding testing, the CECC is facing issues that uh, it has to maintain the legitimacy of its current measures. Um, the CECC will be accused, for example, of just skewing the numbers or just using semantics to get out of uh, declaring a phase four status. And so there's also an interesting phenomenon, I think, which we're seeing the erosion of boundaries between phase three and phase four. Uh, phase three is a quote unquote near lockdown situation, which is not a full lockdown. Businesses are still open and so forth. But then you do have after after they announce that you do have them announcing that schools would also be closed. Uh, you do have 
have announcing that businesses, uh, for example, restaurants have to move to, to uh, takeout or that uh, just if you're unable to open uh, your establishment with social distancing measures, then you should close. And so that actually pushes level three closer to level four. And so in that respect, then what does a full level four lockdown consist of and how will that differ from level three? And will that be effective in a way that level three is not? That's the question I think that is uh, really facing the CC at present. And of course, Ross, there has been calls by local government heads to go into lockdown. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, they want to pressure the central government to make that decision. Central government is understandably reluctant because of the potential impact on the economy, uh, among many other reasons. But uh, this also seems to be one among the issues that uh, unfortunately do get politicized. So uh, generally, uh, as long as you're not from the DPP, if you're a, a local municipal level leader, a mayor or a county executive, it becomes easy to make an issue of that um, and, and take the other side of the, of the issue. And if the roles were reversed, the, the, they'd probably be taking different positions as well. Uh, so that's just the reality of the politics. And that one is very similar to the issue of should uh, local governments conduct testing. Uh, there was an incident in, with Jin Men wanted to do that and, and uh, at the airport for arrivals. The central government stepped in and said no. And then the other obvious one in that space is whether or not local governments could purchase vaccines. Uh, there was a moment, however brief it was, where the central government kind of said, like, fine, you want to go ahead and do it, do it. Uh, stop asking us. It was kind of their attitude. And then hours later, the central government said, ah, no, that's not quite what we meant. We, we, we're not going to authorize uh, local governments to, to purchase vaccines. Right, of course, and talking of vaccines, United Biomedical on Thursday announced that it plans to apply for emergency use authorization for its coronavirus vaccine and start delivery within two months. The company began second-stage clinical trials for the vaccine in January, and it says that over 4,000 participants have received the required two doses to date. Now, according to the company, it plans to apply to Taiwan's Food and Drug Administration for the EUA of the vaccine in mid-June, and it says it will begin shipments in July. The company has reported signed a contract with the government to supply 5 million doses of its vaccine. Meanwhile, Medigen is also currently carrying out stage 2 clinical trials for its coronavirus vaccine, which is also a domestic vaccine, and also says it plans to apply for an EAU in June. Medigen's vaccine will require two doses and is contracted by the government to supply also 5 million shots. Now, meanwhile, um, a top paid to Terry Gore this week said the Honai founder is offering to purchase coronavirus vaccines from overseas for Taiwan. And according to Honhai, the company is willing to contribute to the ongoing efforts to contain the outbreak here in Taiwan. And Guar is looking to purchase the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine from a Chinese pharmaceutical company. Now, apparently, Guar has been in talks with DPP lawmaker Ke Jengming and Guar Guangcheng, the chairman of the Forsun International Group, which owns Forsun Pharma. Now, however, Ke apparently has been saying that negotiations with Forsun Pharma stopped earlier this week due to political factors, even though by BioNTech had expressed an interest in supplying vaccines to Taiwan. So, Brian, Terry Gore is buying vaccines. But do you think Terry Gore is buying vaccines for Taiwan or Terry Gore is buying vaccines for Terry Gore? 
Well, I think it's a combination. I think that Terry Goh wants to benefit politically from being the man that purchased vaccines for Taiwan, uh, particularly mm-hmm. given his pound blue leanings. And so Terry Goh uh, just tried to run for president in 2020, though that did not work out. Uh, he has a political career. And so I think it does actually benefit him for to purchase uh, t- vaccines for Taiwan in that sense. But it actually, it's quite unusual then, actually, that this did not go through. Um, I thought that actually, for example, uh, with these allegations of Chinese interference, that perhaps they would not be uh, willing to interfere in if it's Terry Goh actually purchasing the vaccine. Perhaps they would hope this is a way to benefit some that is more on their side, but that did not work out. And so that's a little surprising. And I have some speculation as to why that may be so, for example. Just for example, it could be that the Chinese government views Terry Goh as a bit of a wild card in the sense that, for example, he is willing to work with the other side periodically. Uh, regarding his attempt to purchase vaccines from Fosun, he did actually concert, consult Ke Jieming, the majority speaker of the DPP. Uh, and just regarding that, I think he's not actually subject to the KMT party structure in the way that, for example, local government heads calling for vaccine purchases are because he does he is independently wealthy uh, he's not really sort of part of the, part of the party in the way that uh, a lot of other KMT party politicians are he just threw his hat into the race to uh, run for president and join the party that way um, and so then this raises issues I think regarding the ability to really control the messaging there uh, but then regarding that I mean that does clarify the numbers uh, where vaccines are going to be coming from uh, Chen Shizhong announced that 2 million vaccines would be arriving by June and that there would be 10 million in in August. And so he referred to sources uh, such as some of these would be coming from COVAX and some of these would be coming from domestic manufacturing, but we do not know the exact numbers. And so it's becoming more clear now, uh, particularly with the Moderna vaccine arriving as well. And it's also very, very possible that there are uh, still uh, vaccine acquisition plans that have not been announced. For example, the Moderna vaccine that arriving uh, today, in fact, we did not know about until last night. That was kept confidential and low key in order to prevent interference or for this from falling through. And so I think a lot about the situation on, on the vaccine acquisition front is still uh, unclear. So, Ross, Terry Gore buying vaccines and allegations of China meddling in the vaccine purchasing order. Well, uh, I couldn't disagree with Brian Moore. It seems that the meddling here, the political interference or trying to seek a political benefit remains with this government, uh, the central government in Taiwan. Uh, Mr. Guo, uh, sure, is trying to get some public relations uh, benefit by being involved, but if he could get those vaccines here into Taiwan quicker than the government seems to be able to achieve this, what's the problem? Um, So this is very analogous, if not identical, to what happened with uh, city or municipal governments or county governments that uh, put up their hands and said, fine, central government, if you can't make this happen, we'll try and talk to the manufacturers or the manufacturers, distributors, and make it happen. And that's why on, on Thursday of this week, Minister Chen was, uh, as I said earlier, it was going to some length to defend the government's uh, negotiations uh, with the manufacturer. Uh, so what really is the issue here? Uh, my view is actually uh, that there's simply too much bureaucracy uh, on the Taiwan side. And a lot of people think that uh, the issue is more uh, there was so much confidence in Taiwan that Taiwan didn't really rush uh, to get in line to send the money uh, last year when other countries were starting to do so for, for purchases of the vaccine. Uh, but I think there's just too much bureaucracy involved, and uh, it doesn't lend itself to quick decision-making, especially when you have to sign a contract with a big foreign company and send them a lot of money. Uh, so if, if, if Gaul can make that happen, 
and, and it's the same product that the central government is trying to buy. Uh, it's not a different product, you know, assuming you know, it's not some uh, poison product and the central government can check it when it arrives. Uh, you know, what's the difference? Who, who, who arranges the, the purchase agreement to deny uh, people the ability to get the vaccine um, simply because you don't like the guy who, who was the middleman for the transaction? Well, that, that doesn't seem very, very prudent to me. Well, Brian, what about local governments being able to buy the vaccine? Because well, obviously some local governments have more money than other local governments, so there would possibly be a disparity there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that's also one of the issues as well. Uh, just the central government is now uh, maintaining that it alone has the authority to purchase vaccines, and therefore it also decides how vaccines are being distributed. Uh, for example, there's controversy about the fact that Kaohsiung is actually getting more vaccines than New Taipei. Uh, of the uh, shipment of the AstraZeneca vaccine that arrived already, the 400,000. Um, this is justified on the basis of that there are uh, medical staff being prioritized for taking the vaccine right now, and there are more unvaccinated medical personnel in Kaohsiung than there are in New Taipei. But seeing as New Taipei is the most heavily hit area and Kaohsiung is the only major city controlled by the DPP currently, I think this will lead to allegations, for example, that the DPP is simply acting to favor its local government that it controls and sticking it to KMT mayors. Um, but I think also what's interesting then about Terry Go is that I'm not sure this is actually the same thing as the local governments. Uh, perhaps the deal fell through actually because of the fact that he was willing to coordinate with the DPP regarding his vaccine purchase. Again, he went to talk to Ke Jianming, which I thought was an unusual move, uh, going to a political leader on the other side to make sure that things are all right in terms of how the proceeds. Um, and then this falls through. And so regarding timeline, then I think that actually just, uh, for example, the timeline Chen Zhizhong offered, he said that the original talks with uh, BioNTech took place in August, uh, but probing things out and Tom was talking to other manufacturers. Uh, more serious talks were held in November. Uh, by the end of December, there was a contract drawn up. Uh, this was signed on, uh, this was approved by the executive rent and signed on January 6th. Uh, then a few hours later, on uh, on, on sorry, on uh, January eighth, and when they're drafting the Chinese and English press release, uh, Bontech also signs off on this. A few hours later, then there are issues over the reference to my country, quote unquote, uh, in the press release, which is changed to Taiwan, and then Bontech raises further issues, and then it deteriorates to the point that one week later, on uh, January fifteenth, the Bontech states that because of planting issues, that the deal's delayed. And so I think that it's not necessarily moving slow, but just that this happened. And so this could happen with other other uh, companies as well. But that being said, it is the case that Taiwan is highly bureaucratic and this does create issues. Um, so actually, I think what is interesting to look at now then is whether other countries, uh, other companies will follow the example of Foxconn and try to purchase vaccines from a company. I mean, the big one I think is people are looking at is actually TSMC because of how uh, important semiconductor manufacturing is to Taiwan. And Hanghai is not exactly a pharmaceutical company, but it is moving into purchasing vaccines. And so this is interesting too, because there's a recent Nikkei article, which actually did mention there other tech companies looking at acquiring vaccines in Taiwan. And so I'm very curious as to what companies those are. So, Ross, private companies also procuring vaccines. Well, they should be able to do it a lot faster uh, than the government. Brian says it's not really slow. Uh, well, if you started the negotiation in August, it took you till January to complete it. It's not a model of efficiency either. I mean, certainly a a large corporate uh, where a lot of the decision making uh, is done by a single person. Uh, you know, Honhai would be one example, even though Mr. Go is supposed to be in semi-retirement. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, other uh, analogous companies, uh, they're going to make these decisions a lot faster. But ultimately, if, if the central government's not going to allow 
private companies to do that or they're going to subject to all sorts of bureaucratic requirements. Uh, the, the, it's not going to work out. I mean, the private companies are going to run into the same problems that that Mr. Gore did. So uh, unless the government creates a clear pathway or channel for private companies or local governments to purchase it, uh, I, I think you know this conversation is almost going to be uh, irrelevant because it's just never going to happen. And of course, Brian, what hasn't happened is apparently police officers aren't jumping up and down trying to get these shot because apparently, according to figures this week, the vaccination rate among eligible police officers is currently only 5.6 percent, while the same figure for the firefighters and paramedics is 32 percent. And of course, the defence ministry this week said that it's scaling down the Hangwang exercise live fire drill because of concerns that, well, soldiers could be contaminated and infected with the coronavirus. Not a good thing when the police, the fire brigade and the military could get the coronavirus. That's right. And so the police and firefighters were added to the categories eligible for uh, taking the vaccine. Uh, right now, self-paid vaccinations are suspended. Uh, this is in addition to medical workers. So it's interesting because this shows the view of the government that police and firefighters are the essential services you need right now. Uh, there was actually previously a petition, for example, from a group of experts um, they were associated with civil society organizations calling on the government to reduce police activity at this time because of the fact that police could be a vector for spreading COVID-19 because they're still out enforcing a law and mask bans and so forth. And so the idea was to reduce police activity. But I think that the government is instead uh, stepping up police activity, actually. And so they've taken this approach in terms of carrying out inspections or finding people not wearing masks, uh, ensuring that uh, COVID-19 prevention measures are being implemented. And so then this makes sense to include police within that uh, vaccination category. Um, but I think that perhaps there's just lack of interest, uh, as the, or it could be that the police are even busy with uh, what they're doing right now in terms of search resources. Um, the paradox of actually having COVID-19 vaccines available to these groups is that without measures to allow for days off because they might be sick because of the vaccine and so forth, uh, this could also potentially create issues and add to the bottlenecks that currently exist in Taiwan. And so we're seeing bottlenecks all around regarding uh, medical workers, the police, uh, testing, and so forth. And so I think this could actually be accentuated. And this is one of those things I think the vaccine rollout could actually complicate things in some ways, despite the fact that this could offer a solution as well. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and we're talking about the coronavirus this episode for this week. And of course, Ross, along with the security services, the army and doctors and medics, there's also concern about the island's semiconductor industries getting hit by cases at their factories. Yeah, Brian mentioned uh, earlier in the show that tech companies are, are looking at ways to acquire vaccines to protect their staff. You know, the business is good for a lot of the tech companies uh, started uh, could, uh, you know, simultaneous with the work from home wave that began uh, last January, February 2020, uh, worldwide. Uh, the, the shortage of certain kinds of semiconductor chips has gotten an enormous amount of information. Taiwan's role in that has got, uh, sorry, an enormous amount of press coverage, as, as has Taiwan's role in that. So it, it's understandable that the tech companies are concerned about this issue. Uh, but if they can't get vaccines, then you know, they're, they're just going to have to take that risk. I mean, they're going to have to implement measures to keep their uh, uh, employees safe and do the best job that they can. Uh, but a lot of these companies do have factories worldwide. 
staff worldwide. So they've dealt with this issue uh, worldwide as well, whether in China at the height of of the virus situation in the first few months of last year or in other places around the world. I mean, if there's any sector in Taiwan who's conf- you know, in, in which we should have confidence in their ability to uh, do risk management, then it would have to be the tech sector as opposed to say, oh, I don't know, government. <laughs> um, you know, so whether it's risk management or speed of decision making, uh, I think we should, we could have a lot of confidence in the tech sector's ability to do that. But there is an inherent risk here as well, which is that these companies will have to proactively move some manufacturing out of Taiwan to other locations uh, to the extent that they have facilities and this could be safely done. Uh, China might be a choice, but then there's issues with with uh, you know, whether you could sell stuff from China into the United States and other countries at the current time. Uh, there's tariffs on some some pro- consumer electronic products, for example, in the United States. Uh, so uh, this could become a bigger challenge uh, for the most important industry in Taiwan uh, if you know, the tier three continues or we go into a tier four. Yeah, so I think it's interesting because uh, recent events have made the world realize how precarious uh, manufacturing and supply lines in Taiwan are. We're running the current drought, for example, because water is necessary for semiconductor manufacturing, but are also the uh, current coronavirus outbreak. And so there's concern, for example, about uh, there are at least two TSMC employees that have uh, COVID-19. Uh, there's a cluster at Chaoyang University in uh, central Taiwan. Actually, they have facilities at the Central Ta- uh, Science Park, which is also where these TSMC employees got sick. And so there's concern there. And there's some other companies as well. Um, risk management is something that uh, companies have uh, taken into account. Uh, TSMC, at the very least, claims that it is alternating shifts between workers, which is what it was asked to do by the CECC. Uh, companies across the board have been asked to do this in order to ensure that they can keep operations running uh, while maintaining people working from home. Uh, they move the proportion for people working from home from to one half. Uh, so you have your essential staff that need to be in the office there, perhaps, but people working at home. Uh, the question, though, is actually, will companies go through with this? Because if there's only the companies are really good on Taiwan, it is being uh, very focused on having long work hours and being there to have the workers in front of you so they can monitor them all the time. And so this has led to issues, for example. Um, in New Taipei, in an industrial area, there's a company reported yesterday as having made uh, an employee come into work for two days despite having a confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis. This was justified on the basis that the uh, Department of Health had not notified the company, but that the hospital had uh, because of backlogs contacting everybody. Sometimes this will just happen, that the Department of Health will contact later to follow up with information, but the hospital will first tell someone that, okay, well, you're sick, so you should stay at home. But he, they were still made to go into work anyway. And so this is one of those issues, actually. I mean, there's concern, for example, about uh, from companies that, well, remote work, how do we actually know that these people are working on the clock. They could be off at Yaming Mountain just playing around and that sort of thing. And so I think this is where particularly uh, the the overworked uh, long hours in Taiwan, with Taiwan having the fourth longest working hours in the world, uh, several, uh, according to the Ministry of Labor, uh, sometimes will clash with the coronavirus prevention measures. And so I think that companies are sometimes loath to relinquish this oversight they have to watch over workers um, and when they're working. And so this could actually create a hole in uh, coronavirus prevention measures. So, Ross, do you think companies need to rethink the way that their employees do their jobs? I rethink, my gosh. They've had since January 2020 to think about this. So uh, it's unfortunate that uh, companies didn't really have a sufficient uh, 
plan B or a work from home plan here in Taiwan. Be, you know, the other side of that discussion would be things were relatively safe here. You know, thank goodness. Fortunately, we never had to implement that. But uh, bigger companies are better at this, obviously, and the smaller, medium-sized companies, which still make up a big part of Taiwan's economy, no surprise that uh, the boss in these kinds of smaller, medium-sized companies would would uh, be reluctant to implement work from home, be fearful of it. They can't see what the employees are doing, not want to spend the money on the tech support necessary, whether that's equipment, um, not want to uh, give the time off that employees might need as well in the situation. Brian mentioned, uh, as an example earlier, it wasn't company, but he mentioned the police and concerns that they don't get time off uh, just to go get a, get a vaccination or if they have a reaction and, and they need a sick day. Uh, so these things apply in the corporate sector as well. And again, smaller, medium-sized businesses where uh, the ownership uh, just doesn't have this kind of uh, global worldview about these issues, then they, they just want to do things the same old way. But uh, to go back to the earlier conversation, though, about the tech industry, at least, look, people need to be in the factory for that kind of business uh, and for other parts of the manufacturing side of Taiwan's economy as well. So uh, obviously, it's a lot easier for the service economy to work from home than it is for the manufacturing economy. And Taiwan fell off a list this week because of the coronavirus infections that have sprung up domestically, because that was the Bloomberg list, basically, the top 10 coronavirus resilience list. Now, the latest ranking shows that Taiwan fell from its previous fifth position to 15th, while Japan also dropped out of the top 10 list to 14th place from the previous seventh. Now, Bloomberg says Taiwan and Japan dropped out of the top 10 amid sluggish inoculation drives and resurgent cases, while some of the world's fiercest outbreaks were in Southeast Asia and South Asia. Now, the ranking uses factors such as more mortality rates and testing rates to vaccine access and freedom of movement to evaluate where the pandemic is being handled most effectively. Now, of course, Ross, of course, last year there was big talk of Taiwan handling it so well and having so much to teach the world about how to deal with the coronavirus. Do you, obviously, you had problems with that then. I take it you have bigger problems with that now. Well, I, I, I think we just say I've had a consistent view, right? I mean, my consistent view was uh, this Taiwan could help with regard to the virus was a bit uh, exaggerated. And I don't mean that by way of criticism, but the reality is in January 2020 and uh, over the successive weeks into February, March, uh, first starting with travelers from Wuhan and then China and then basically the rest of the world, uh, Taiwan made it increasingly difficult for people to enter the country other than returning citizens or foreign residents. And there were quarantine requirements and a fairly well-developed contact tracing system here in Taiwan uh, because Taiwan uh, has a national ID card and national health insurance program. They have local wardens and borough chiefs at the local uh, government level who uh, could be activated to monitor people who are in quarantine. Uh, so these, these things were not really you know, some kind of secret, special Taiwan method. And Taiwan had ability to share some PPE with other countries as well. Uh, but Taiwan had no experience, and we, as we've been alluding to in this program, that they didn't have a, a, a tier three or a four or a lockdown anytime last year. So no experience measuring a large outbreak, which eventually and unfortunately is what a lot of other countries had to deal with. And that's the kind of experience 
they 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 needed. You know, if we talk about India, say, oh, Taiwan can help India. Well, uh, Taiwan can send some PPE and, and masks, but uh, Taiwan can't doesn't really have ex experience or advice to share with managing a, a very large outbreak. We can't even test effectively or quickly or efficiently a, a relatively small population. Look at the backlog issue that we discussed earlier in the show. Uh, so, uh, you know, Taiwan doesn't really have much advice to give countries that are struggling with, with large outbreaks or emerging from, from that situation. And for that, you, you, you mentioned Japan. Think about a country like Australia, which has had to go into lockdown. They came out, they go back in. This is happening in Australia as we speak. Uh, Again, not something Taiwan could provide any professional advice. Fortunately, I suppose. So that, that's why I said I don't mean it as a criticism, but we have to be realistic about uh, Taiwan's ability to advise other places. And, and now, as we see now, Taiwan needs to focus on advising itself. So you know, the whole, you know, Taiwan can help. I, I think it was a bit exaggerated, but unfortunately it works its way into you know, these rankings. And then Taiwan had this very high score. And now uh, they're, they're feeling the, you know, the, the backlash or the after effect or the hangover of all that. Uh, and their ranking falls and it's, it's somewhat embarrassing. So I think uh, it's interesting in that respect because I think a lot of international media coverage of Taiwan focused, uh, that was very, you know, looking on Taiwan through very tinted lenses, lenses, I believe, uh, is the inverse of now this current criticism of Taiwan for not taking inefficient measures. I think a lot of this was just uh, framing Taiwan as an other to be juxtaposed to the poor response of Western countries in most cases. And now the, the, the shoe is on the other foot because Taiwan is seeing outbreaks. And so this leads to this reevaluation. Um, but in that respect, I think it is quite interesting because Taiwan did do well in the beginning, but some Sometimes when you do well in the beginning, that means that you actually do not do well later on. And so because of the fact that Taiwan is able to act quickly and keep coronavirus at the borders, uh, this led to not learning the lessons of how to deal with coronavirus inside the borders or how to experience lockdown uh, or respond to these outbreaks as they develop. Because I think it was assumed that coronavirus could always be kept outside of Taiwan, and that did not work out as we uh, see today. Um, and so Taiwan did not learn about lockdowns or the new transmissional variants and how to deal with that or regarding uh, testing capacity. And so there was a year to prepare. But that did not happen in terms of building up testing capacity or quarantine facilities and so forth. And I think it would actually have been very difficult to have the political willpower to do that because of the fact this would be viewed as unnecessary. And so it doesn't surprise me in that sense, but I think that you also do see some of these older, uh, more deeply set resource disparities emerge in that uh, certain countries do get vaccines first and have more access to vaccines because they can produce vaccines, whereas other countries cannot. And so Taiwan, in that respect, Taiwan is economically wealthy compared to a lot of these other places that are being hit very hard by the coronavirus right now, but it does not actually have access to vaccines either. And so this reflects, I think, Taiwan's position in the world in that Taiwan is economically strong, but it's still not one of the uh, central powerful nations of the world, let's say. And so I think this is quite interesting as well. And there was well, I'm shocked. I, I'm just shocked to hear that Taiwan's not one of the more powerful nations in the world. No, Brian, really. <laughs> How can you say such a thing? <laughs> Anyway, there was some good news this week related to the coronavirus, that being the Department of Commerce, Prote Consumer Protection rather, saying although daily necessities and sanitation items have sold out in some retail outlets due to high demand, production has now stabilised. Now, according to the department, a recent market survey shows that supplies of those necessities have stabilised at both retailers and on e-commerce platforms from the previous week. The products we're talking about here include toilet paper, rice, instant noodles, frozen food, face masks, rubbing alcohol, hand sanitizer and wet wipes. Now the department says of those products 
drugs. Demand for rubbing alcohol and instant noodles was on occasion too high for both retailers and e-commerce platforms to keep shared shelves stocked. And the department says it's now working with manufacturers and logistics operators to speed up the delivery of supplies. But of course, if you go to a supermarket currently, Ross, pretty much all the instant noodles are gone. Yeah, that phenomenon commenced on the, on the you know, two weekends ago uh, when, when it was sort of, there was that soft announcement, right? Where we have a pre-tier three in Taipei City. Uh, then we had tier three announced by the central government. Uh, and then with it minutes, you know, people were rushing to the supermarket and anyone who went there shortly after uh, and walked down uh, the aisle and, and certain products, like you mentioned, instant noodles, uh, empty uh, supermarket near where I live. It was it was very funny because on one side of the aisle, all the instant noodles you know, that that are common in this part of the world uh, are manufactured here, popular to eat. Were, were, it was empty, and then on the opposite side of that aisle was the Western style pastas. Those were all empty too. So uh, you know, people went, I guess they went looking for the option B. Uh, so they bought all the spaghetti and and, and uh, uh, other types of pasta as well. Uh, but there there shouldn't be shortages so long as there, there's enough raw materials. Uh, the logistic chains are operating, whether it's for products that need to be imported or made here locally. Uh, so again, this is kind of one of those things where I said earlier in the show, you know, we should have confidence in the government's ability to, to you know, grasp some of the facts, but the issue sometimes seems to be the speed at which they grasp the facts. You know, maybe they should have been uh, looking into this at the moment they knew they were going to be going into the tier three. Uh, you know, it seemed like during those few key hours, there wasn't enough effort, I'm talking about a couple of weekends ago, uh, to discourage this and, and say it's, it's really not necessary to run to the supermarket. Uh, plus the obvious that people lined up at the supermarket weren't social distancing so you know who knows how many people caught caught the virus by, by going to do some panic buying uh but but well you know this is one where I was, i'd like to say let's be optimistic uh, we saw a bit of this last year as well with a rush to buy paper products like, like um toilet paper as well as hand sanitizer alcohol and it did disappear from some of the store shelves uh for a while uh, but not too long, and eventually the, the supply chain uh, normalized. So uh, let's be optimistic on that one. Of course, Brian, you're not going out because of where you live at the moment. But, I mean, when you last went to your supermarket, were the shelves empty? Yeah, they were. Um, but also it was kind of surprising because you would see Taiwanese brands of instant noodles gone. But then you would see, for example, a lot of Korean brands that were still left there. The other thing I observed was that there's a lot of people buying the uh, instant noodles that, that are in cartons. So, you know, it's easier to cook or whatever, but leaving alone the instant noodles in packages. And so they come in larger packages and there's less plastic waste. And so that was a little surprising to me as well. Um, but yeah, I think that it's one of those things. The government is actually pretty good at boosting manufacturing capacity when needed, as seen with uh, increasing the manufacturing for alcohol sanitizer and medical masks last year, or speeding up things when necessary in, in terms of crisis, though sometimes it acts a bit late. And so I'm hoping that this ability to stabilize our supply of instant noodles will also work with regards to boosting uh, the processing of tests, for example, because there is such a backlog right now. And so hopefully that, that all can also be applied there. And did you have you bought any panic buying equipment goods, Ross? Well, uh, I usually buy bulk anyway, so you're not going to catch me in that uh, making that confession, uh, Gavin. So when I go to the, go to the supermarket or I buy online, I, I do try to buy 
uh, by the case, for example, if I'm buying uh, beverages or, uh, you know, I'm not going to buy one roll of toilet paper. I'm going to buy the 12 pack uh, on uh, uh, by online shopping. Uh, so my frustration is is you know in that regard. I mean, if I go to online shopping and they're they're sold out of the twelve pack of a beverage or, or a household product, uh, which unfortunately is is the case right now. And then uh, there are certain products that are imported, which you know it's a natural reaction to think that during this period there might be a breakdown in the supply chain. Maybe I should uh, buy you know twelve of those as well. In case uh, shipping or, or air freight gets disrupted, I think that was certainly a concern last year. As other countries where you know, the products might be made that that are shipped to Taiwan, food or other products, uh, hopefully it's less of a concern this year, and there won't be a reason to do that. Uh, yeah, I did actually buy instant noodles, unfortunately. Um, but just uh, in case, in case that there's lockdown, I mean, particularly there's discussion back then too of locking down Wanghua, and so I was concerned, like, oh, I might actually be cut off from access to food. Um, so I, I did that, unfortunately. And you are still surviving on deliveries in Wanghua. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so deliveries do still arrive, though. I think that there is concern about deliveries going to Wanghua in some cases. Uh, this is not always food. Uh, this could be, for example, appliances and that sort of thing. There has been suspension of some services. Um, but I'm also just a little bit outside of the actual hotspot. And so that might actually be a thing that affects things. Right. And that's where we'll leave it here this week here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.